When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Who's going to be first to the floor here? And it was Marcus Smart as he usually is. Round drive. Scoop layup. That's not the first round we've seen a superstar in green and white. Sacrifice the body. What is up? Welcome back to another episode of First to the Floor. We're continuing on our Eastern Conference Rivals series with the Brooklyn Nets, kicking off with a very special guest, Billy Reinhardt. Billy, how are you, mate? I'm great, Jake. Thanks for having me. Mate, pleasure, pleasure. Thank you for coming on to talk some Celtics, some Nets. Ben, of course, in the, uh, just in the take chair. Let him take you some hosting today. How are you going? <laughs> I'm very happy to be out of the host seat for a change. Very happy to talk some Nets Celtics. I do think we'll find some alignment on our Kyrie Irving takes and our Ben Simmons takes. So very <laughs> excited to get into it. Yes, and and you will have noticed, Billy, it wasn't it's not by design. This has been the intro for a long time, but that first frame, those first shots of Kevin Garnett in a Nets uniform, uh, not by design, but it does work very nicely uh mm-hmm. today. Um, you know, so Mikhail Bridges. Kind of a bit of a bit of a star in FIBA so far. Have you been able to catch much of FIBA, the Nets? I know it's on some funky times for you guys. Yeah, these games are pretty early in the morning. I've definitely, the games I haven't watched live, I've definitely tried to watch back at least highlight clips, especially Mikel Bridges. Last game was definitely his best game, uh, leading Team USA, having a, a nice scoring outburst there. But he's been a good player all along, being a lead defender for the Team USA squad, and he just fits well. He knows that role from Phoenix. He can play off the ball. He can play with other stars. With the Nets, you saw him obviously take an uptick in his scoring role, but he fits right in there in Team USA. Team USA, excuse me, as you've seen other stars like Brandon Ingram not used to that secondary mm-hmm. role. So he's kind of a player that fits quite well in, in a FIBA Team USA uh, standpoint. Yeah, well, I guess he's used to it, right? So he's he's played uh, the two, the, the second fiddle in, in Phoenix and now kind of being the one guy. So he's definitely a guy that can can be malleable depending on the role. He has been, he'd get a little in trouble though. His, uh, his three-point celebration got a, got teed up for it. These FIBA, <laughs> these FIBA refs don't play around with that stuff. Yeah, these FIBA officials seem a little more old school than the NBA officials. Yeah. Mikel Bridges likes to have some fun uh, with this three-point celebration. The officials didn't seem to like it, but he'll learn. They, they got the semifinal game coming up and I'm sure he'll, he'll be a little more uh, cautious with the celebration going forward. 100%. I love it. Just 
basketball purity. None of that celebration stuff. We saw Luca get ejected uh, in horrific fashion uh, last night, Aussie time, uh, in that game as well, which is great. What's the what's the anxiety level? You know, I know you're a reporter first and maybe a fan second or, or third, but I remember watching like Jason Tatum in FIBA a few years ago, and he ended up spraining his ankle, and it's just not enjoyable as a as a fan who prioritizes the NBA season and wanting Jason Tatum to be healthy for that season. It's great watching Mikael Bridges succeed in, in this capacity, but is there any sense of anxiety there watching him, you know, um, but exert himself outside of the NBA sphere? You know, not really, because I think players in the off seasons, they're playing pickup, they're, they're going through workouts, like they're playing five on five. So you can really get injured anytime. Um, it's kind of good to see him competing at the highest level, being in condition and all that. So injuries happen. They're obviously unfortunate, but in, in my mind, you can't really prevent them too much. So, I mean, and Mikel Bridges has been one of the most durable guys, if not the most durable guy in the NBA over recent years. He has a consecutive game streak that might approach 400 this season. So, um, if anyone's going to stay healthy, my money's on him. I don't want to jinx him, but um, <laughs> it seems to be a, it was a good bill of health. Yeah, yeah didn't he? I think outlook. he played 83 games last regular season, didn't he? Yes, of, uh, after the trade, he got an extra one with the Nets. So. Yeah, yeah, so... Currently holds the record for most games played in a season, which very impressive. Yes, we have our own Iron Man and Jason Tatum, so it's very nice to have a, a star like that. Speaking of you know having a star like that, is it kind of nice to have a nice wholesome star, low drama centerpiece that we can just talk about basketball with as as a, as someone who's covering the Nets? Well, you, just, you were just saying it. We we have a nice uh, star in Jason Tatum doesn't miss games. Mikel Bridges, I mean. Nets fans don't know a lot about that in recent years. <laughs> AD and Kyrie and, and Harden even missing sometimes and Ben Simmons, of course. So uh, it's nice to have someone that plays night in and night out. But if you ask me, and I think if you ask most Nets fans, they'll take the high risk, high reward maneuver and be in that, <laughs> that championship conversation. There's nothing like that. So a little bit of a step back here for the foreseeable future for the Nets, but uh, hopefully they can get back in contention at some point soon. All right. Well, in, a, in an attempt to sort of bring us together as as Nets and Celtics people, can we bond for a moment over our shared experience with the Kyrie Irving era that each of our respective teams experienced uh, coming to an end more recently there with the Nets um, and the resulting rainbow and springing flowers, the birds are chirping, etc. Like we sort of talked about it with Mikael Bridges, things are more wholesome now. Can you talk about like your experience of, of maybe covering that, that Kyrie Irving era in Brooklyn and just the experience of seeing it come to an end and the resulting relief. <laughs> the Kyrie Irving experience, and I don't even want to shrink it necessarily to Kyrie Irving because you, you, you guys with Boston dealt with Kyrie Irving as a solo kind of act. With the Nets, there was so much going on. I mean, you had AD, you had James Harden, and perhaps the biggest thing of all that a lot of people gloss over when talking about why this Nets experiment did not work, the pandemic. I mean... Nobody could have predicted, predicted a, a once-in-a-generation pandemic like this. And obviously, what would come from it with the Nets, and that kind of, in my opinion, that's what kind of threw them off with Kyrie not choosing to get vaccinated, not being available for games, domino effect with James Harden thereafter. So um, that that's, to me, where the, the wheels kind of came off of this experiment. But from, from year one, Kyrie played only 20 games. He had a shoulder injury. That was before Kevin Durant had played a game. He missed the bubble. Uh, he was still recovering from his injury. He, when James Harden came that year, everything seemed great. That the three of them barely got on the floor together when this when the playoffs came on. You guys saw it with Boston. Uh, the, Nets, the Nets looked tremendous. I mean, obviously Jalen Brown didn't play. I mean, Udoka wasn't there yet. He was still with the Nets at that point. And the roster of the Celtics had a ton of turnover for the next year. But 
Uh, the, the Nets were dominating with those three, and it looked like that in the early portion of the Buck series. In my opinion, if even one of the two stars was healthy next to Durant, they would have won it all. They went to game seven of overtime with Kyrie and Harden, Harden barely able to play. So I think the team had a margin of error that year where they, they really could have won. So it's unfortunate to see how it happened, but the Kyrie drama never stopped. Um, obviously, as I mentioned, with the vaccination status, and then even this past season, the team was 18-2 and two across a 20-game stretch, one game behind the Celtics for the best record in yep. the Eastern Conference. They were supposed to play just that week. Kevin Durant then got hurt. And then from there, the, the wheels kind of came off. Kyrie kept the team going around 500 for a little bit of time. And then just out of nowhere, a contract situation forced him to ask out. So it's unfortunate that Nets fans never got to see how last season would have ended up. I'm not sure they would have won. I'm not sure they would have gotten to the conference finals. But I think the team had proven at that point, especially after the early struggles with Steve Nash, that they could have been a factor in the Eastern Conference. So it's unfortunate that that didn't get to play out. But yeah, the Kyrie experience is up and down, as I'm sure you guys are well aware. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the Celtics fans are so lucky in the sense that we got to be the guinea pigs for the the one time that the super team Nets got together in the playoffs. Like, that was the one series that Katie, Harden, and Kyrie really got together. And unfortunately for the Celtics, it, it coincided with um, one of our worst rosters we've had, or the worst roster we've had in the Tatum era. And also with Jason, with Jalen Brown missing the only playoff run of his career. But, Thankfully, we, we we did get one for the archives, that Jason Tatum 50-point game in Game 3. But um, I'm with you, and we've been uh, definitely very – it does kind of coincide with how we feel about the Bucks and, you know, the run that they had. But people forget, like, Michael – Mike Budaholzer, people wanted to fire him in the middle of that series. Yeah. Like, and, and Harden goes out and literally, like, was it the first quarter of game one with first the hamstring? minutes of, of yeah. game one. And, right. and then so, they went up 2 0 in that series, crushing the Bucks in game two. And they were seconds away from winning game three and going up 3 yeah. 0. So, where we go? Kyrie yeah. gets hurt in that yeah. game three. Um, and people, it's, now it's like the Harden experience, recency bias, you're, the, how we think about Harden can, is so skewed over the past, even this past few months and the last playoff series. But, I had a I had a James Harden MVP bet that I placed because I knew that uh, Kyrie and KD would likely miss time, and he carried that team mm-hmm. in that two because they were the two seed um, in that in that season, and he for like a twenty thirty game stretch was like one of the best players in the league. So it's easy to forget like not that long ago, um, and it's, it's kind of crazy now even talking about it how quickly the Nets have found themselves. Honestly, not in a terrible place considering mm-hmm. the amount of talent that's walked out the door. But um, crazy to, to from the peaks to the valleys um, so quickly. Um, so something we we may you know we may have in common. Um, ben Simmons is a is a Brooklyn net. He is also allegedly Australian. Um, yet to to put on the Boomers jersey at any point. Uh, he's he's given a very dependent, very interesting article with Mark Spears. I thought there was. Um, some good stuff. There was some classic Ben Simmons stuff in there. Um, where are you with Ben Simmons? Did you did you were you able to read that article from Mark Spears? Um, do you reckon he can turn it around? Where are you with Ben? Yeah, so I'm not sure which side you two stand on Ben Simmons, but for my, even after covering James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant, Ben Simmons is the most polarizing player I've seen. Even when he was at his peak, even when he was playing his best with the Sixers, there were a lot of people that just hated his play style. They they couldn't get around the fact that he wouldn't shoot three pointers. I mean, he truly is the most polarizing player I've seen. 
Me, I'm a little bit more on the positive side. I lean back on the science of it. Um, doctors say that it takes 18 months to recover from the surgery that he had, full recovery in terms of the nerves regenerating in the back. And for anyone that's done anything in athletics, even weightlifting or anything, the back is the core strength of the body. So I think if you watch Ben Simmons last season, his, his rebounds and his assists were pretty much in line with his career totals. His points were way down. He was very hesitant at the rim, which is not far off from how he typically plays. He's always passed first, but he had no explosion at the rim whatsoever. So he would revert to finesse shots at the rim, hook shots. He had no explosion. Um, so I think that really impacted his aggressiveness at the rim. And he knew he didn't have the physical ability to be who he really is. We didn't see any of those high, high flying dunks, any of that physicality at the rim, which he's known for. So I think that was purely health related. There might be other issues involved, mental issues people mentioned. So um, I'm not going to get into all that. I don't know the extent of all that. I just know from the player that he was in Philadelphia, he, he physically was not that player last season. And doctors and the Nets, they seem to think he's going to recover physically. So um, I'm optimistic from that extent. Um, I'm not sure he gets back to his full all-star form from Philadelphia, um, but I do think he will be a positive player, a starting point guard for the Nets this season. And I, I think where they're at right now, that would be positive for this group. He'd be another 27-year-old player to fit with Mikel Bridges, Cam Johnson, Nick Claxton, fits the identity of defense and athleticism. And he gives them a, a point guard, which they truly needed last year. So I, I think he'll fit into things nicely this season, but I'm cautiously um, awaiting to see if he could truly uh, get back to his prior form. Yeah, I'm not even sure that the physical recovery is is the most important thing. Like he he will recover from that injury, but the the mental recovery and I want to be careful here because it, it's so speculative to sort of talk you know um, and present oneself as knowingly talking about someone's mental health situation. But prior to the back injury, there's just so many examples of Ben Simmons shying away from opportunities to to be in the spotlight and as Aussies like Jake and I will tell you that like it's so frustrating watching him continually ditch opportunities to to play with the boomers to the point where he has posed he's done like media availabilities posing in the boomers uniform you know hashtag can't wait to to play on the Olympic team or the World Cup team and then ultimately bailed to the point where it's never surprising to see him shy away from an opportunity to to shine as an Aussie I wouldn't even say star anymore, just as Aussie contributing player in the NBA. So, yeah, he'll recover from his back surgery. I'm, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this, Billy. And again, you know, we, we want to be careful not to speculate too heavily on, on anyone's mental health situation. But to me, that's the most concerning aspect of Ben Simmons at this juncture in his career. And I think that's where probably most people differ when you talk about Ben Simmons. No one truly knows the extent of that. Um, for me, I'm just leaning back on the player he was in Philadelphia. Um, I don't. I think many of those mental issues persisted during that point, and he was still able to be a three-time All-Star and highly productive player. So for me, it's about getting the body right first. I think that leads to confidence with the mind, um, and and from there, that's the best you can hope for. The mental issues—they're very complicated. I'm not sure the extent of them, as I said, um, but I, I think first things first: get the body right. You'll feel more confident, and you'll see where it goes from there. I actually do think that it's a great situation for Ben to get back to that point. Um, you know, there's there's not going to be championship expectations in Brooklyn anymore. You know, with him being moved to Brooklyn from from Philly, the, the expectations were championships at that point. Kyrie and KD were still there. Um, and that's a tough place to be if you are having some issues mentally on the court, but also like as someone that's had a lot of back issues I'm like on the mobility train every day. When that's not right, 
you can't play basketball and you can't play basketball at a high level. You can't be basketball at the NBA level. Like, it's interesting to me that we didn't really get information about how severe these injuries were. And I'm going to take him at his word when it comes to the injury stuff um, because I actually think it kind of makes sense. Like, even with Philly, right? Like, you know, there was, you know, the unwillingness to shoot and some, you know, the famous Trey Young play. But as you said, especially in the regular season, he was a defensive player of the year candidate. He was all NBA. He was like a force. He was like a force. Three time also, yeah. Force in the regular season, like absolutely no question. And so I'm I'm hopeful for him because I, 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 don't, I don't want to see anyone just like not be able to play basketball again from back issues. Um, and I'm like, from from what he said, he tried to play through that stuff because he could hear a lot of the media, the media stuff. I just I, I wonder, you know, could they that his PR team is just they got, they got to hire some new people because like everybody's speculating about this stuff and maybe he doesn't care. But if you were able to get some of this information out about this back stuff, everyone would have I personally would have been far more um I know understanding of of where he's at as opposed to him going out there every night and looking like a shell of himself, which now reading that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I think he was in the worst possible situation for someone coming back from the type of surgery that he had. If you think about the circumstances around the next that nets at that time, KD asked that for a trade last summer. That mm-hmm. the entire summer last summer, that was what it was about for the Nets. Finally, Joe Side, the owner, and Sean Marks, the general manager, they convinced Kevin Durant to come back. Part of that was a belief that they can contend for a championship. That belief partly rested on Ben Simmons being an all-star. So there was pressure from the start of the season on Ben Simmons to be an all-star, Steve Nash to lead this team to a championship, Kyrie to be around and playing for a contract. And because he had just he in the summer, remember he had to opt in because he couldn't get a, a longer term deal with the Nets or someone else. So there was all this pressure with the Nets. It was still a difficult situation with Kevin Durant, even though he came back. So there was so much pressure on Ben Simmons to be that player for the Nets that one, he himself was coming off the fiasco that he had in Philly over a year ago, um, where he had the last memory of everyone seeing him was missing, not taking that layup against Trey Young. So he felt he had something to prove. Then you had KD desperately wanting to win where the Nets felt any moment he could ask out. And Kyrie's situation is always hovering over. So it, there was pressure for Ben Simmons to play immediately and for this team to contend and to start fast without Kevin Durant having to ask out. And when this team started poorly, fired Steve Nash very quickly, um, you saw the tensions rising. They somehow turned it around right after Kyrie Irving had that suspension for the anti-Semitic comments or whatever, or the posting, I should say. Um, they, they somehow turned it around and Ben Simmons was a part of that. So um, I just don't think it was a situation where there was much patience for Ben Simmons to get back to his form or much tolerance for him to even talk about his injury. Um, So this season, as you mentioned, I think it's a much better atmosphere for him to kind of get back to himself, play with a group of players around his similar age, um, where development is kind of the key here. Mikel Bridges is a great guy, great team player. He's going to keep the the vibe in that locker room loose. Uh, They're all similar age, similar interests. So I think it's definitely a better fit for Ben Simmons and, one hopefully where he can find his prior form. Yeah, and look, as as a human, but like as an Australian in particular, like it would be nice to see, like I want to see players play to their potential. And even if we never, you know, I don't know if Ben Simmons turning into a shooter is ever going to be a thing, but getting Ben it's... Simmons back to, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I'm just like, just don't mention the shooting in the article. Just don't mention the shooting that you're taking, you know, because anyway. I want to see him get back to that. He's a fun player, like from especially in the regular season. Like he's a fun, very unique player, and so and I think he would make that t- Nets team really fun if he can get back to that level. 
We do now quickly have to hear a quick word from our... Get ready for the NFL season with incredible offers from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get 200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Plus, all customers who bet $5 will get $100 off NFL Sunday ticket from YouTube and YouTube TV. Now is the best time to join FanDuel. The app is easy to use and can be on everything from spreads to player props and more. Visit FanDuel.com Boston and kick off the NFL season with an offer you won't want to miss. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Massachusetts 21 plus and present in MA first online real money wager only $10 first deposit required bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt restrictions apply see terms at fanduel.com backslash sportsbook hope is here gambling helpline ma.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support play it smart from the start gamesensema.com or call one 800 GAM1234. NFL Sunday ticket offer ends 9-18-23. No refunds. Terms and embargoes apply. $100 off NFL Sunday ticket, not YouTube TV. YouTube TV base plan required to watch YouTube TV. Redemption requires a Google account and current form of payment. Commercial use excluded. Subscription renews. Cancel anytime. Sponsor. Billy, are you an NFL guy at all? Definitely. Can't wait. You, got, you uh, you a guy? I, are you a, a responsible gambler at all? Do you have any? Do you have any tips for the for the people in the chat here? Listen, I, I, I've dabbled. I, I wouldn't give any tips. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what you want to. <laughs> Very safe, smart man. Um, I've been I've been handing out some some things uh, every episode. I'm um, I'm on Josh Reynolds over. I believe it's twenty three and a half receiving yards for the Lions. It's NFL starts tomorrow, team. Very exciting. Uh, so that's my pick the Chiefs defense no Chris Jones bit of a mess we won't get too in the weeds but that's my pick Josh Reynolds over 23 and a half receiving us that's just one play action play deep shot no worries um <laughs> I, I know on. nothing about the NFL so I will I will happily move us on uh so <laughs> Billy in your opinion is there any existing rivalry even as a leftover of the last two iterations of the teams between the Celtics and the Brooklyn Nets I think for Nets fans Maybe aside from the Knicks, just because of the proximity and that Nets fans have friends that are Knicks fans and vice versa. I think the Sixers and the Celtics are probably the two closest rivals. And that kind of has to do with the trades that have happened between those two teams in recent years. I think there's also a, just there's a lot of Nets fans that are Yankee fans. And then there's Celtics fans that are Red Sox fans. So I think there's always a little Boston, New York hatred there. Sure. The Nets oh, yeah. and the Celtics, I've wanted this to become a real rivalry for years. Go back to the, the Garnett Pierce trade, even before that. I remember a scrum over a decade ago, Rondo and Chris Humphreys uh, going yeah. to the stands when KG and Pierce <laughs> were still with the Celtics. I mean, there have been some good teams that have overlapped over the years that there could have really been a rivalry. Uh, obviously, in the past few years when the Nets had KD, Kyrie, and Harden, the Celtics, if they kept that come up at the same time while the Nets kept that team together, that could have really been a special rivalry. Right now, I don't know if the Nets are on the level of the Celtics. I, I think that there could be some fun matchups, though. Obviously, the Nets had that big comeback against the Celtics in Boston last season. Um, right after they made the trades, Mikel Bridges and Cam Johnson leading that comeback. But um, I think there will always be a little Boston-New York rivalry. But I, I think the Nets have to get a little bit better to um, to be on that level with Boston right now. I mean, I think there's definitely a Nets-Celtics rivalry. I think, yeah, obviously the context of this upcoming season, uh, 
you know, there might not be as much juice. That being said, the Nets handed the Celtics like one of their worst losses of the season last year where mm-hmm. they were up like 30 points in the first half and the Nets came all the way back and won in, unfortunately, very classic Celtics fashion, one of their signature, signature blown huge leads. Uh, the Nets uh, had their number on, on that one, but yeah, the the Celtics fans... Uh, have a special place in a lot of Celtics fans, I should say, have a special place in their heart for for Kyrie Irving. Um, not a good place. So you know, when I was there in um, the first round matchup, twenty twenty two, where KD Kyrie, uh, that first round, that two seven matchup, I was in the Garden game two, my first ever Celtics game, and uh, yes, yeah, a lot of Celtics fans don't like Kyrie. Um, and I like, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, yeah. So there's definitely that element. I will be interesting to see like, that's, that kind of feels like the only thing really that was keeping it going like last season in particular. So I do think that the Nets are going to have to, um, to get a little better to, to keep that rivalry going, but it's a great point for like the, the KG trade. I'm, I'm excited to actually go back and look up that little, that little Chris Humphreys Rondo scrap now. Oh yeah. Um, that was a good one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so you know, it's, it's, it's funny, like the, the playoffs are awesome from, for a variety of reasons, but one that I like it for is when, you know, being a content creator, being online, you find people uh, that create content from other teams, especially in the playoffs, because you're, 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 you're scouting, you're scouting who are the, who are the Twitter bosses on the other side here. And Billy, I got that. This is how I found you was during that, um, in, in the lead up to that, to that series. And, um, you know, I think that was a time, like a lot of people picked the Nets to win that series. And there are a lot of Celtics fans that were very upset that that was our two seven matchup. Because I do t- think, yeah, I do yeah. think that was one of the closest four yes. game sweeps we've seen. Totally. I think the total margin of victory was seventeen or eighteen points. Obviously, Jason Tatum had the game winner twirling layup in game yeah. one, and and every game was close from there. Nick Claxton, I think, went like two of twenty one from free throw line in the series. So that's the margin yes. right there. But <laughs> um, that, that's that's that season just fell off for the Nets ever since the Harden trade happened. It was too rushed. Simmons obviously wasn't there. Joe Harris was hurt. But um yeah that, that was a fun series. It was a close series. Yeah. It's fun now for Celtics fans to say we swept them because objectively that's true. But man, if that It was terrifying. It was if, terrifying going in. Oh. I thought it was going to go seven games at least, and I really had no idea who was going to come out victorious. And, yeah, that's yeah. right. Well, I mean, it, a series can change on a dime. I mean, if Jason Tatum doesn't score that at the buzzer, yeah, dude. 1-0, and then they just have to split each way going back, and momentum changes. So who knows? It could have been a long series. But, um, you know, it was definitely a good one. I was hoping for the rubber match this year because the Nets had swept, uh, not swept, but one in five the year prior. Gentlemen yeah. sweep, and then the Celtics swept last year so i thought they were on a little bit of a collision course this year but Kyrie had other plans so <laughs> he often he often does unfortunately um <laughs> i mean it, it, has there been a point in your celtics fandom or nets fandom uh where you, where where would you say you've hated the celtics the most would it would it have been in that that little pressure cooker of time was anything else come to mind I, I, i've never really found i guess this iteration of the celtics with tatum around hateable um I think more when they had that big three back in the day with KG, because KG was all about this. I loved KG. Oh, yeah. KG's one of my favorite players of all time. He's like my exact type of player, ultra competitor. But back when they had that, he wanted to talk trash the whole time. Oh, yeah. He was very hateable. That team was hateable. They put that big three together, kind of similar, to, I guess, to the Nets, where you see a yeah. team come unorganically in a way together. It's easy to hate that. Tatum and Brown, obviously, they're former Nets draft picks. So that was always an interesting connection there. Um, 
but they seem to, I always liked them even back in college and everything. So, and Marcus Smart was likable. So I, it wasn't a team that ever I found hateable. Al Horford's a respected veteran. So um, I don't know. We never really got to the point of a real heated rivalry between the Nets and the Celtics. It was more Celtics fans against Kyrie. That was the extent of it. It was never really beyond <laughs> that, but I wish we, we got that. Man, you definitely endeared yourself to the Celtics, to the first yeah. couple of fans with that one, Marcus. <laughs> maybe, a few, maybe a few of them could uh, unblock me, maybe from those. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Definitely start unblock the, start Billy. The campaign. Yep. Good guy. Come on. <laughs> I uh, uh, yeah, that's really refreshing to hear, Billy. Because you know, Celtics, Celtics podcast. We get a lot of uh, opposing fan bases, media folks on, and and usually, you know, media people. Um, will do away with their fandom in order to remain professional. We find that that's pretty consistent across most media people. And yet the hate for the Celtics seems to drip through <laughs> still and be a commonality between all opposing media folks. So that's really refreshing. I hope that people unblock you uh, as a result of that take. I do have to respond and say that my hatred for the Nets uh, and Jake, let's get your thoughts on this too, peaked when the rumors of Kyrie Irving leaving the Celtics started to reach a boiling point and there was that clip of he and Kevin Durant at the All-Star game and uh, Kyrie Irving appeared to be saying two max slots uh, on camera there in the hallway. And then just the Nets fans piling on, just being like, he's ours now. And us kind of being like, well, that may not necessarily be a good thing. But it was at that time before they realized that like Kyrie is kind of a detriment to your franchise. Um, that was my, my peak of hatred for the, for the Nets there. And uh, since then, it's more, I, w- I won't say pity, there's just like there's almost a camaraderie in that we've kind of both been through this Kyrie thing together. We've come out of it better for it, really. We're both better. Uh, even though talent-wise, maybe the Nets aren't better after the fact. I think they're a better vibes team and they're more fun to root for is, is my is my take on the Nets there. So, what do you think, Jake? Man, it definitely peaked for me as soon as Kyrie left. That like That's when, I, when it was because I'm, I'm a trustworthy guy. When I hear someone say, if you'll have me, I'll stay. I'm if I when I see him put the video with his the, the commercial with his dad talking about getting his jersey retired, I'm all in. Also, Billy, I'm sure you are also aware when Kyrie's playing basketball, it's mesmerizing. When he's collecting wins for your basketball team, it's mesmerizing. When that first season started, Haywood snaps his leg in half. Five minutes into the season. And uh, anyway, just had PTSD flashback for a moment. Um, that The Celtics go on this like 16-game winning streak orchestrated by Kyrie Irving. Um, he gets injured later in the year and they go on that Eastern Conference Finals run. Uh, and then they come into the next season kind of loaded. But like that specific, that first Kyrie Irving season, I was like, this is this is it. We've got, we've got the guy. We've got, you know, we've hit on Jason Tatum. He looks like a future superstar. Already in his, in his rookie year, and so I was, I was seeing titles and banners in the sky, and so for him to rip that away from me and lied to me, hurt. <laughs> so that's what it peaked for me. Is so, there is there any part of you guys though? I, I wonder this because obviously the Celtics have gone on a positive trajectory since Kyrie sure. left. I think a lot of that is due to the natural progression of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Obviously, people want to point at Kyrie's gone, the cancer's gone, all of that. I think it's more Tatum and Brown. Yes. Udoka came in, he kind of got things going. So do you, is there any part of you that would have liked to see the Kyrie experiment go longer given the progression of Tatum and Brown? Because the Celtics haven't won a title at this point now, right? Mm-hmm. 
And windows are short in the NBA. Even as young as Tatum and Brown are, Brown aside an extension. You never know how long these players are here for. Is there part of you that would have liked to see? I'll turn the tables on you here. Is there part of you that would have liked to see <laughs> stay another year or two? Yeah, Billy, I think about this all the time. The lens <laughs> of like, if I could go back and change anything, would I? And I think as painful as some of those Kyrie and, and Gordon Hayward moments were, I think no. Because where we are right now, and we talked about how fun it is to root for a good vibes team, where we are with the Jays uh, and their, their role as leaders in the team, especially now with Marcus Smart being shipped out, uh, I just don't know if there was any other pathway to get to that point. And if Kyrie Irving had been healthy and gelled well with the team, and if Gordon Hayward had been healthy and gelled well with the team, you've got to imagine that Tatum and Brown would have been pieces, young pieces, shipped out potentially to find more established veterans to pair with a healthy and happy Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward. And looking back now on that as a possibility is almost traumatizing, which is weird <laughs> to say about something that didn't happen, but that's that's where I stand on it. So I kind of, as painful as part of the journey was, I wouldn't change anything because I'm so stoked with where we are now. Fair enough. I might have to come back to you on that if the Celtics don't win a title over the next <laughs> year. <laughs> you, you are correct, Billy. The Celtics have not won a title and me <laughs> Thank and you Ben for are going to die five years or 10 years earlier than we should have because of <laughs> the amount of Game 7 series we've played across the last two years. Um, and look, I'm yesterday I was on, we were doing a Celtics and chill thing and I was entertaining the idea of 40-year-old LeBron coming in and the chat was not happy with me. Um, I'm I'm drawn to sirens. My self-control is something that I'm working on in my day-to-day life. So I would definitely be tempted. I think in a vacuum, if it's like, if you, if you can promise me happy and healthy Kyrie, then sure. I can't I, promise you that. It's always that, a risk. That's the it's problem. Always, and I, like, and I think, I think yeah. you agree with me though, Jake. I am the, I'm of the belief that as much talent as you can, it will work itself out. I was all for the James Harden trade. I think every GM in the league would tell you they would have put this big three for the Nets together and made the Harden trade. And if they tell you that they wouldn't, they're lying. Like this is what the NBA is about. It's about amassing these stars, putting them together and then taking the risk there. So um, I don't know. I I think get all the stars together and you see what happens. They're too talented to not work in my opinion. I, I, I do think with Kyrie in particular now, I'm not sure I put him in like, if like if you go back, if you, if you give me the 20, 18, that 20, yeah, Tatum was drafted in that 17 draft, that 17, 18 season. If you can give me the 17, 18 version of Kyrie, the problem is that was five years ago and he has had shoulder, knee, knee, and the culture piece, chemistry thing is, is definitely real. Like if I agree with you, talent is always the move where possible. But at the same time, I don't put Kyrie in this top echelon of talent anymore. And so yeah. right now, yeah, I, I, I think, and I think that's fair. I think we're going to see it with, with Dallas as well because he's now 30 years old, um, 31 maybe. And uh, yeah, I, I, do, I do think um, chemistry and fit is important, especially on this Celtics team. But um, whew, it's a good question. It's a good question nonetheless. <laughs> Yeah, and speaking of the Celtics team, and before we move on and to wrap up with some net stuff, I've got to ask Billy, like thoughts on the Celtics offseason this year. One of the most enjoyable parts of this series that we're doing this offseason, this Eastern Conference rival series, is getting opposing reporters' takes on on the Celtics offseason. So the Porzingis trade, shipping out Marcus Smart, bringing in a high injury risk but high talent in Chris Stapp's Porzingis and some of the smaller moves on the side. What's your take on the Celtics offseason? And, and so where do you see them in contendership coming into this coming season? 
Well, I'm disappointed they didn't bring my guy Blake Griffin back. I mean, one of the most <laughs> likable, oh, right? I mean, I've same. never seen a star transition into a more likable role player than Blake Come Griffin. Come on. Totally. I mean, especially that first year with the Nets, he was very good. But um, that's a joke. They, they, they're filling out the rest of the roster. We'll see. But um, No, we but, take that very seriously. No, no, no. no, we, no we, we literally wish yeah. that he was taking the 15th ro- like roster spot. Like, he's like, he's an elite vibesman. And yeah, yeah. I think he's a perfect correct. last big on your bench. Like, you can, yeah. you can get in there. But we'll get to the bigger thing. So, Porzingis, <laughs> being in New York, got to see Porzingis a lot. Sure. He was with the Knicks. Um, I've always loved this town. I think if you think about the league, it's such a rare archetype to have a true floor spacing big that could also protect the rim, like a true floor space. There's guys that will shoot threes, but they're not really guarded. They're not shooting a high volume. Porzingis gets really guarded at the three point line and he can protect the rim. So he can play with Robert Williams. He can play with Al Horford. He can play alone if they go with Tatum at the four. Um, so he gives them a lot more versatility. And I think if the Celtics aren't bringing in a true floor general point guard to kind of help Tatum and Brown, with their efficiency and playing them off the ball more. I think the key is to have spacing bigs. And we've seen that over the years with them, with Al Horford and Grant Williams. Having Porzingis allows Tatum and Brown to play more one-on-one, more isolation, get to the rack. So I, I like the Porzingis move from that talent standpoint. The question with him is always health. You can't really predict that. You just got to hope he's healthy come playoff time. But they have enough front court depth that if he does miss some games during the regular season, I think they'll be okay. The part with Marcus Smart is tough because I think from a pure talent Standpoint, if you're looking at the team on a spreadsheet, the team got better. I think Marcus Smart brings intangible value that you can't quantify. I think he's one of the rare role players in the NBA that can challenge stars. That's super rare because he came into the league before Tatum and Brown. He was there when they were rookies. Um, He can challenge them. He can hold them accountable. And I just saw in Brooklyn with KD and Kyrie, it's very hard to have role players that are respected by stars and can hold them accountable. And obviously, those are different personalities, but Tatum and Brown are still star players at this point. So I think they're going to miss Marcus Smart's on-court leadership. When I look at that team, who's the leader? It's Al Horford. Who else do they have? I'm not so sure. I think Tatum and Brown are going to have to take a little bit more of a leadership um, position now that they're getting into their late 20s. So I think that's going to be something they have to they have to figure out throughout the season, especially with that Ime Udoka, as who's a, he's, a, he's a big voice in that locker room. Is Joe Mazzulla ready to kind of command the locker room in that way without a Marcus Smart? So I think that's going to be a challenge throughout the season. Marcus Smart's also a role player who he might not be the most efficient shooter and he might be inconsistent, but he'll come up in a game six and give you 22 points and five or seven from three. And there's not a lot of role players that have the, the, the variance to kind of keep shooting and really explode for games like that in the playoffs, which I think is valuable. So there are questions about Malcolm Brogdon's injuries now. So, they might be a little thin in the backcourt. So uh, it's it's going to be interesting because they've been so used to playing with Marcus Smart for years now that um, it, it's going to be interesting to see how things go forward. I know they would have loved to have done that trade with Malcolm Brogdon. That would have yes. been the answer. Um, but I think the Porzingis move was necessary in the extent that Al Horford's aging. And you the Celtics, the way they play and the way they have played over the years, and Brad Stevens has seemed to like it as a coach and now a front office executive, they love to have a spacing big man that could also defend. So I think Porzingis is kind of replacing what Horford might lose with age. Like I said, he can play with Robert Williams. They can stay big. They can go small. He can play with Horford. So there's a lot of versatility in that way. Celtics might lose a little bit of perimeter defense with no Marcus Smart, but I think Porzingis' rim protection will help them in that regard. But for the Celtics, I'd be mostly worried about the intangibles of the toughness, the grit, and everything else that Marcus Smart brings. Wow. Look, I think judging someone's ball-knowing content uh, you know, acumen, I think asking them about Marcus Smart is a great way to do that. And Billy, you have passed with flying colors. I think 
Appreciate it. I, like to say, yeah, and and that's that's our biggest concern. Like I think to your point about talent, more talented roster. Like Porzingis, as much as we love Marcus Smart, Porzingis is like a borderline all star. Has been an all star. Yeah, yeah, has like a real real ceiling uh, as a player, and you can and you can see how it fits together. We absolutely have been asking those same questions. The heart and soul has left. Tatum and Brown need to step up, and Brad Stevens has kind of hinted at that being the case. And it's like it's time. Yep. You know, Marcus Smart as as great as bringing all those intangibles to the court into the locker room are. It kind of meant that Jason and Jalen didn't have to bring as much of that to the team. And so now with them going out, I'm you know, it's this is a big like leadership's probably maybe the most important thing for both of these guys coming into this season with Marcus Smart leaving. So obviously the health stuff, but yeah, I think the intangible stuff, Tatum and Jalen, 25, 26 years old now, still young ish, but it's um but it's time to to take the reins. No, I know from I know from a Nets perspective, Nets fans looking at the Celtics in recent years and when the Nets were trying to catch the Celtics after the Celtics kind of lapped them a little bit. The, the problem was always the Nets don't have this extra grit. They don't have these intangibles. The Celtics have this like, just defensive identity, this kind of like in-your-face alpha dog mentality. And a lot of that was led by Marcus Smart. So I'm not sure when teams look at the other side to the Celtics now, they, they, there's anyone, not that they fear, this is basketball, professional sports. It's not combat sports. Uh, <laughs> but someone that kind of has that alpha dog mentality on the Celtics, I'm not sure that they have that same presence anymore. So it's going to be something they're going to have to work on. They're going to have to have a conscious effort every night to, to come with that physicality more so than they did before. Um, but I think the talent will be something where they can overcome that. And they're still going to be uh, among the leading contenders, if not the leading contender in the Eastern Conference. I was going to say, if I had to, if I had to nail you down, do you, do you have the something for the top? Do you have the bucks at the top? Um, do you believe in devil magic that the heat will do this again? Um, <laughs> maybe you believe in the Damian Lillard trade. Yeah. Um, I mean, like the variables of Damian Lillard trade, right? Um, the Heat have kind of had the Celtics number a little bit over recent years, um, at least c- compared to the talent they've had comparing it with Boston. So I think if Lillard goes to Boston, that, yeah. I mean, if, excuse me, if Lillard goes to Miami, that might make me lean Miami. Um, I think I would take the Celtics over the Bucks just because I have questions about Middleton's injuries and aging and Drew Holiday's injuries and aging and Brooke Lopez. So I think that roster is getting a little bit old fast. There's a big load on Giannis, and I'm not sure they've done enough around him um, to keep going, but uh, Miami with Willer, that that will be a tough team if uh, if they can get him. Yeah, every night I'm lighting the candles to make sure that one doesn't happen. That's- <laughs> so is Jason Tatum. I heard he I heard he reached out to Damian Lillard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, he did. Uh, thankfully, Windhorse and Zach Lowe have kind of indicated that there's nothing on the horizon, and training camp is coming up. So every day we get closer to training camp is. You know, if, if we can just get that Damian Lillard trade to happen at the trade deadline as opposed to at the beginning of the season, that will be a win because there's pretty much never been a team that has made a trade at the deadline for a superstar and won a title outside of, I want to say, Clyde Drexler um, uh, on the Rockets. And mm-hmm. the Rockets won the title the year previous. So that's very different and very, very long time ago. All right. Closing up with uh, some Nets... Questions as well. So, what what kind of what is the the road map for the Nets? Um, obviously, the Nets don't own their own picks. I don't think until twenty twenty seven, maybe even longer. But they own their own. But they own Phoenix, Philly, Houston picks. I was having a look. Like twenty twenty seven, they're loaded with picks. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, like, there's obviously no reason to tank because they they don't have their their own picks. So, what's kind of the the road map going forward here? 
Yeah, I think the Nets believe in their ability to attract all-star talent. And they've shown that in recent years over and over again. Um, so I think they believe in the market of New York City, people wanting to play there. They think they have a nice young core right now. They have the flexibility both in terms of player assets and picks to be a player for any star that comes available. We even saw Damian Lillard this year. I mean, he mentioned the Nets in the Heat. He narrowed it down to the Heat. But he mentioned the Nets as another team that made sense. So already just months after they traded KD and Kyrie, there's another star thinking about Brooklyn. So I think the next cycle of stars, if the Nets are competitive enough this year and stay around that 500 mark and Bridges continues to look good and Claxton takes a step, he's a free agent next summer. We'll see if they keep him. But if their young pieces on that roster continue to mold and they look attractive, I think that next wave of stars, whether it's Donovan Mitchell, who is from New York, or could be Embiid next summer. I'm not sure how I feel about him with the Nets, but um, guys of that nature, um, I think they're going to be a player for any star that comes available in the next few years if they can stay competitive. So I think that's the Nets plan as of now. Just continue to churn away at this thing this next year, get the young guys getting better, get some kind of stabilize the, the, the situation with the roster. Obviously, they had the trades in the deadline last year, but give them a little bit more of a runway with the training camp this year. Hopefully, they're competitive. Um, and then see see what happens. Stars move around a lot in the NBA. If you look at five years ago, some of the best players in the league, some of them have switched not only once, but twice uh, in terms of switching teams. So there's going to be guys that move over the next couple of years. The Nets are going to be players for them. Yeah, it's really impressive how the Nets have positioned themselves so quickly post Durant and Kyrie to be... On that, at that jumping off point where they've got a nice foundation of young, you know, on the precipice of stardom players like Mikel Bridges uh, and uh, assets to trade potentially for a star that does shake loose or become available as well. I'll also say, um, yes, first of all, the Nets so lucky to be one of those few franchises yes. that are like a legitimately um, desirable destination for free agents. Uh, in Boston, we do not... Uh, know what that feels like. <laughs> Although we have had some decent They're, they're a second tier destination. They're not the, they're, you could be worse than Boston. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and it's, like it's, to, yeah. it's based on the culture here uh, in Boston, which does waver. We obviously saw that in the Rick Pitino years. We saw that briefly with Kyrie Irving. The culture's on the uptick now. So things are feeling better in that regard. And then I'll say, and I don't know how much this means to the players, but I've been to a lot of NBA arenas in my time. And Barclays, the Barclays Center, is probably the best. NBA arena that I've ever been to just as far as like there's not a bad seat in the house the food is amazing obviously again that doesn't benefit the players Um, but it just (laughs) suffice to say it's it's a great franchise built on good foundations that has recovered quickly from the detriments brought to them by KD and Kyrie I'm just I'm very impressed by how quickly they've repositioned themselves to be on that jumping off point in elevating themselves to where they are from where they are now to you know potential Championship contention. So and listen, really Sean good. Marks in this front office did it last time with no picks, and they mm-hmm. got KD, Kyrie, and eventually James Harden. So they have a ton more assets, both in terms of the roster and picks, to do it this time. So um, they have a good shot to put themselves in, in contention in years to come, but might take a little bit of a step back this season. Patience and make sure this time they get the right stars because I think um, you don't just want to get stars. What we learned over the last couple of years, you want to get the right stars. So um, a guy like Embiid that might be approaching 30 with injuries. I hinted at that. That's someone you'd have to think twice about. Whereas Donovan Mitchell, a little bit younger mm-hmm. from New York, I, I could see that as being a better fit. Well, Donovan Mitchell and Mikael Bridges would be very fun. Um, I, I, w- I will say I, w- I was in the, so I went to game two in Boston for that net series. Then I, I went to game three in Brooklyn of the net series. And I was in the very, very last row for that second game, paid for good tickets for the Boston game. Enemy territory, I wanted, you know, and also, they were crazy expensive for- <laughs> Don't for want to be Brooklyn. seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, <laughs> great seats. Like, I was, like, it was still a really great view. Um, so, you're, you're right on that, Ben. Um, question just about, I guess, 
the roster, who's going to start? Like, is Simmons going to start? Let's assume that he's healthy, right? So it's like, you know, Claxton, McHale, Cam Johnson. Is it Finney Smith? And then is it Dinwiddie? Is Dinwiddie going to start again? Or is Simmons going to start? That's going to be interesting to me because I think Simmons would expect to be starting, right? Yeah, all indications from Simmons's camp and from, he said, from speaking with Jock Vaughn and from speaking with the Nets front office that they expect Ben Simmons to be the starting point guard this season. Okay. And they understand he's best as a point guard. So I think Simmons, Bridges, Cam Johnson, and Claxton, those are the four kind of likely starters. I think that fits, but they're going to play around within training camp. Do they need another ball hander like Spencer Dinwiddie? Do they want another 3 and D guy that's a little bit of a better shooter in Royce O'Neal? Do they want to go really big with Dorian Finney-Smith? I think that's something they'll play with throughout the year. Cam Thomas, maybe by the end of the year, could he carve out a starting spot? He showed some great flashes last year, maybe with a little bit more of a runway this year, getting a year older. He can be someone that fits into that that's that closing five at least by the end of the season. So I think there's a lot of moving parts with the Nets. I think they'll play around with it. To start the season, I think it will probably be Simmons, Dinwiddie, Bridges, Johnson, Claxton. I think it helps to have Dinwiddie as another half-court creator next to Simmons. Gives him another spacer and ball handler to kind of combat the the non-spacing of Claxton and Simmons together. Um, but I think they'll play around with it. Matchups might might dictate. So we'll see. They have a lot of depth. Because of liquidating three stars, yeah. they do have a lot of depth, especially in the front court. So I, I think they'll play around with different lineups. What, what do you think the expectations are? Where do you kind of see the Nets uh, finishing? I know we, we got some people, we got someone in the chat saying we think sixth they could finish. We've got someone thinking ninth or tenth. Like, what do you think the uh, sorry, Vion thinks sixth? We got uh, Michelle Douglas thinking ninth or tenth. Where 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 do you think expectations are? And then maybe where do you think that they that they'll finish up? Because that. That kind of like group after Milwaukee and Boston and Miami, even Miami was obviously like the, the seventh or eighth seed last year, but that next group, there's so many paces, Bulls, Hawks, um, like there's, there's so many teams, Brooklyn, that I think fall into like that next group. Uh, what do you think you, the Nets end up finishing? Yeah, I think their range is probably the sixth to the tenth seed. Um, I, I think the goal is to be over 500. I think the goal is to make the playoffs. Um, so last year when they got Mikel Bridges, I don't know the exact record offhand. It might have been like 13 and 15, and they did yeah. have some load management days. So they were right around 500, and this team had no training camp. They threw an entirely new starting lineup together. Nearly everyone besides Nick Claxton was traded for. So I think with a training camp, hopefully a healthier Ben Simmons, some version of Ben Simmons that they didn't get last year, um, and then development of all these young players on the roster. Spencer Dinwiddie said the other day he's been working out with Nick Claxton all summer. He thinks he's poised nice. for another big leap. Um, so we'll see. Cam Thomas is a guy who can improve, and then Simmons, as I mentioned. I think those are the X factors, those three guys, based on how they leap and uh, for how they could be this season. But my expectation is somewhere around 540 to 42 wins. Um, and being competitive, pesky team that shows some promise, the young players start to get a little better, and you get a little more clarity, not only about your own team, but the, the landscape of the league going forward and what stars might become available over the next few years. I do think, honestly, there is a world where they finish a little higher. I think there's a pretty wide range of outcomes for the Nets, but I do see a world. Um, you didn't mention Dennis Smith Jr., who I think is an under, un, like he's completely reinvented himself as this like elite guard defender. And mm -hmm. so all of a sudden it's like, okay, if Simmons is healthy and he's a deep boy, he's an he's a all defense guy again. And it's like it's Dennis Smith Jr., Simmons, Claxton, elite rim protector, Finney Smith, Bridges, Bridges Hill, like, Cam Johnson. Like, I mean, they got like, defenders up and down. I was gonna say they could like have one of like they could. I think there's a world 
if everything goes right, where they have a top five defense, and then the offense just has to be mm-hmm. good enough. Where, where I think in an East where you have question, I didn't mention the Cavs. They're probably the other team where I think safely they're going to be, you know, yeah. and the Knicks safely in that in the next year. So I think you, yeah, but like I don't think home court maybe the fifth seed is out of out of um, the realm of possibilities. I think this defense on a night to night basis is going to be a pain in the ass to play against because I think you've got guys that like to play. In the regular season, like as you said, Bridges, he's going to be there every night causing trouble. Dennis Smith, he's got a chip on his shoulder, you know, in theory. Yeah, no, I, I think they have a, I think they have a relatively high floor, not high floor, but I don't think they're going to be a team that bottoms out completely uncompetitive into yeah. lottery. Just because they have a young group that's going to be fairly durable, they're going to compete defensively every night. Nearly all the guys have a chip on their shoulder or something to play for, whether it's contract related or something else. So. Uh, it's a group of high character guys. There's not a lot of egos in there. So I, I think it will be a group that's competitive, fun to watch. Their pathway to success, as you mentioned, is being a top 10 defense, maybe a top five, top three defense even. Um, and then playing up tempo, playing fast, getting out in transition, using their athleticism, Simmons in the open court, and then doing enough in the half court. Bridges is a good three-level scorer. Cam Johnson, I think, has some room to grow as a creator on the ball. Um, Cam Thomas taking a step forward. So they have some pieces. So I think it'll be fun to watch them this year. It's one of the first times in a while where the Nets don't really have high expectations and you can kind of just watch game in and game out for development and see how a, a good group of guys mesh. I think they'll stress a lot of teams out as well. Like one of the fun things about following what is currently a top tier team with the Celtics is like going into a game, just like rubbing your hands together. Yes, like this is going to be so much fun. We're going to destroy this team. And I don't feel that way about this iteration of the Nets just because of their size. Basically, everything you guys have already discussed, that there's there's so few weak points, so few exploits with their defense. Even with Spencer Dinwiddie out there, who's kind of an underwhelming player, particularly on offense, he does have a lot of size at the, at the point guard position. So there's, there's so few points of attack going up against the team like the Nets. It will be interesting to see how that changes with the Celtics with Porzingis and how he can attack zone defenses and things like that. But ultimately, like it's a stressful matchup for Celtics fans because there's just there's no easy buckets. So yeah, no, there's matchups. Very, yeah, they're built very similar to the, the Raptors yeah. in recent years where they have mm-hmm. a lot of defend defenders. They got to figure out the offensive side of the ball, but the length with Simmons at 6'10 at the point and Bridges being super long with over a seven-foot wingspan. Claxton, one of the league's leading shot blockers last year. Johnson's long, and wings galore. So <laughs> the two smallest guys that are going to be in the rotation is Dennis Smith, who's pretty stout, and Cam Thomas, who's right. relatively stout. Um, so um, they're going to have a good rotation of, of defenders, and we'll see how it all meshes. I love Cam Thomas. I mean, and uh, I was going to say, I meant, I meant to say Cameron Johnson, two Cams. That's going to be confusing. Cam Thomas, man. Never seen a shot he doesn't like, but Cam Johnson, one of like one of like the most solid like wings in the league. Like he's, I really really like him. Uh, the foundation for the Nets is solid. I'm excited to see them next year. Um, Billy, this has been awesome. Uh, for everybody in the chat, please go follow follow Billy Reinhardt. It's just at Billy Reinhardt, I believe, on Twitter. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Go follow Billy on Twitter. He's doing a bunch of different social media um, content on online and um yeah he's just a great follow and you know i i like to have my media um from all the other different teams so i'm getting a good view of the league and billy does as good a job as anybody and you can tell he knows ball he appreciates marcus smart so you know um, <laughs> you know what he's talking about um ben unless we uh unless you got anything else here i think we might get out of here I think that's it. I think uh, just bring on the season already, right? Like Please. it's the, the longest off season ever from memory. Oh, when you guys reached out to me to, to do a podcast early September, I'm, I'm dying to talk NBA right now. <laughs> yeah. It's been the longest off season of all time. 
I know, I know. it's brutal. God. <laughs> We're getting there day by day. Thank thank the lords that the NFL is starting tomorrow. Um, <laughs> yeah, so we'll, that'll, that'll tide me over for, for a month or so. Um, everybody in the chat, I appreciate you guys um, stopping by again today. And uh, in the meantime, go Celtics. <laughs>